The woman you are about to meet has written 13 books, and every one of them has risen to number one as a new release or bestseller on Amazon since 2010. Hi, this is Candy O'Terry. Welcome to the story behind her success. One of the most fascinating parts of this story is that today's guest once had her sights set on being an architect. In fact, she was a presidential scholar at the world-renowned Wentworth Institute of Technology, majoring in architecture and design. But somewhere deep down inside, this little voice kept calling her into another direction entirely toward her lifelong love of literature, of writing, of storytelling. Today, she is an award-winning young adult author, educator, and founder of her own publishing company, named after her beloved dachshunds, Briley and Baxter. She's even adapted one of her novels into a screenplay, and it is being adapted for TV by an Emmy Award-winning producer. How about that? Her name is Stacy Padula, and this is her story. Stacy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to finally meet you. What a success story. So let's find a place to start. Let's go back to your first book series called Montgomery Lake High. You started the story, you say, when you were in high school, because even then you saw a need for realistic stories about topics that teens were going through. Tell us that story. Yes. You know, it's funny. It even goes back a little bit further. When I was in eighth grade at Silver Lake, I was assigned a project on peer pressure, and I had always loved to write. I mean, it was my favorite hobby as a child. I wrote book after book after book. My poor parents, every single Christmas gift, everything was, I wrote you another book. I wrote you another book. Oh, I would have loved that if my kids did that for me. They loved it too. And they're so cute. They've both saved them. Of course they have. There's a box of your books, right? The early beginnings of Stacey Padula. So when I was assigned this project, I'm like, oh, I'll write a book on it because why not? I love doing it. That will make the project fun. That was ultimately what caused me to create my Montgomery Lake High book series and my characters. It was that eighth grade health project. You should have seen my teacher's face when everyone's handing her in like three page papers. And I, at that point, it was a 90 page book. And I wrote it in like one month and I just walked it up to her, handed it. And she was so overwhelmed. I I don't even know if she read the whole thing. (laughs) Please tell me you got an A on this project. Yes, thankfully. But the thing was, I fell so in love with my characters and I just was like, you know what? This is the type of book I wish I had been able to read even prior to middle school because I had searched high and low for stories when I was in sixth grade just to prepare me. Yeah, those middle school school age years, those are tough, right? Yeah. And then even in middle school, I was still trying to, you know, I'm reading The Babysitter's Club and Sweet Valley High and things like that, hoping to get a realistic glimpse of what's to come in high school. And the picture that those books painted, just, I mean, as great as the stories were, it just was not realistic. It did not prepare me at all for just how mean kids can be Mm. and the pressures that are put on you externally, but then also internally, this desire to be accepted. And just all of that comes together when you're at that age where everything's just so new. And I wanted to be so prepared. And those books sort of did me a disservice because they sort of painted everything so rosy. So I'm like, no, kids need realistic books. So I set out to write a series that would prepare kids for all of the reality that is high school. And in high school, I continued writing that series. So tell us about some of the topics along the way, the tough stuff. 
that you've dealt with in this particular series? Sure. So in Montgomery Lake High, it's a lot about substance abuse and the peer pressure to fit in and to party. But then they're very much redemption stories. It shows kids desiring something above that and truly finding themselves instead of just falling into that crowd and what's going on there. It's almost how to escape from that and find their real passions and hobbies and how to pursue them and how to get the strength through that. So there's a lot of stories about faith and recovery. I think of Montgomery Lake High as a redemption series. So it's very realistic. I mean, it has in it the stuff that really does happen, but it kind of shows kids how to rise above that and be true to themselves. Talk to us a little bit about the Gripped series. I really wanted to show with Gripped how things fall apart. So Gripped follows really all the characters from Montgomery Lake High, but just a little bit more focused on some of the characters' older siblings and older cousins. I would say a slightly more mature audience for that. I wouldn't say middle school kids, but high school would be a good fit for this because this covers college and high school. And it's about a college football player who's an amazing, acclaimed athlete, hometown hero, really good kid from a really good family. And he gets injured, sadly, during a game and has to have two surgeries and ends up developing an addiction to his pain meds. And it's sort of his journey of addiction and recovery, but how it trickles down and affects his whole hometown where he was that hometown hero. It's just very realistic and how you can go from being in such a good place and just how slippery that slope quickly is and how surprising it can be because this addiction does not discriminate. These are all really good kids that these things happen to. And then when you read the stories, you understand why people are doing what they're doing. And I just wanted to break the stigma, but then also have compassion on the people who are going through this and find ways to help them. You come from a town called Pembroke, Massachusetts, which is almost to the Cape. Yes. Paint us a picture of what that looks like. Oh, Pembroke was a lovely town to grow up in. It was so small that our high school was actually a combination of four towns. But I loved growing up in Pembroke. It was just a very community-oriented, family-oriented, sports-oriented town. It was just interesting because Pembroke was such a small, quaint town. And then when we combined from middle school with the other towns, it was like, Whoa, because it was just so many different kids from so many different cliques and backgrounds and different towns of different cultures, too. So there was just a lot happening all at once. And I think that was why it was a bit tumultuous, I would say, at times, just trying to navigate everything socially. What was life like in your house? You mentioned that you were writing little books and stories for your parents, and those were always appreciated. But what was the vibe like in your house? Were your parents strict? Were they easygoing? Did they appreciate your talent as a writer when you were growing up? Tell us all about it. I grew up feeling like my parents were like 100% in my corner, and they encouraged me to just reach for the stars. Brothers? Sisters? I have a sister, Melissa. She's 10 years older than me. She's an attorney. She is actually technically my half-sister. We have different mothers. But there were times when I was growing up, she did live with us, and I consider her my full sister. She's amazing. But she is 10 years older than me, so growing up, it wasn't until I was, you know, an older teenager that me and her really started hanging out and being closer. But now, I mean, some of my favorite time to spend is with her and, you know, her husband and their kids and everything. Take me back to this love of architecture and design and your decision to attend Wentworth. Sure. From a young age, probably age 10, I just started drawing floor plans for fun. I loved houses. I loved just the way a room could make you feel. And my parents and I had 
moved a couple of times, and they would always bring me along, even as when I was little, little, little. And I would be like noticing the heating system and like commenting, like, "Oh, wow, they had three zones of heating. That would be more efficient." And I was like six years old. My parents like, "Who is this Who child?" Is this child? <laughs> so they encouraged that. They got me software, like CAD software, when I was maybe like eleven <laughs> or twelve, so I could just sit on my computer and design design houses. Yeah, and then see them in three D and everything, and. When I'd be writing my books, I would always draw all the characters' houses. I'd have the floor plans, the outside of the house, everything. So my thought all growing up was, okay, I'll design houses and write books on the side, and that was sort of you know my plan. So when I was actually applying for college, there were some really, really, really selective schools that were interested in me for writing because they had known I had written these books. I had gotten some writing awards and things like that. But ironically, my favorite subject in school was always math. So, Talk about left brain, right brain. Yeah, so I always loved math, and I felt really confident in pursuing either engineering, architecture, whatnot. And when the opportunity to attend Wentworth came along, it was as the president's scholar, so my tuition was fully covered. I mean, I think eventually tuition price raised a little bit, so my parents had to pay a little bit towards something, but it was like a full ride. And they still have a wonderful co-op program and I knew I'd get my foot in the door at top businesses so it just seemed like a no-brainer. I think Wentworth was definitely the best choice for me and I was so sad to graduate I cried. Like I I loved, <laughs> you it loved that college. Much. I loved it so much. You spent your first 2 years in the field. Was there a moment when that little voice inside you that was always beckoning the writing where you said, "Okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to be a writer." When I was graduating, I had a background in both architectural engineering and interior design. So I got hired at an architect firm, but in the interior design department. And, you know, at first I enjoyed it. But then after a while, I was just sitting there day after day behind a desk, drawing and drawing and drawing and doing these red lines and and things like that. And there was sort of an emptiness inside me. And I felt like, wow, someday all these buildings could burn to the ground and there's just no lasting value. I want to be doing something that's making an impact on like the youth of this nation. And I started praying really hard and I was like, "God, I know you created me to do something. I know this isn't it." I told my boss before I left exactly what I was going through with not really feeling fulfilled in the career, and they said, "You know, take this time also to really just think about what you want to do." So I was praying for a sign. One day I was just in a conversation with a friend and she mentioned the word tutor to me it was a story she was telling me about someone and it was like when she said tutor it was like a light bulb just went off in my brain and i was like i love math i love english i love working with the youth how in the world could i become a tutor i would love to do that i had my interview and they were just like wow you know this is so interesting let's let's give it a shot and i'll tell you when you find your path things just take off because within probably maybe 6 7 months the owner called and she said wow how in the world do you tutor the SAT i want everyone in the company and there were there were like 30 tutors at the time i want them to all do it your way will you write a book on how to do it because your kids are just doing amazing and she's like i have all these licensed teachers and they're not doing this she said i want your way to be the way i'm like oh sure i'll write a book about it and then she ended up getting her phd moving home from Virginia and then reached out it was a year later or so she's like I want a director I want it to be you let's build this whole company into an educational group let's work with troubled youth let's do college counseling career counseling 
everything. She's like, I want you and me to run this and build this. So for eight years, I worked there. And it was amazing because I was able to work every day with teenagers. I had a flexible schedule that I could create. So then I could put time for my writing in that schedule. I was working with kids, so I was so engrossed in their life. It helped me keep my books relevant and just the changes from when I grew up versus to what's happening now. And it just became this like beautiful combination of everything I loved to do, but I was getting paid to do it. And I'm like, I can't believe I get paid to do this. This is too good to be true, right? It was so amazing. And I just never looked back because people would be like, Stacey, you went to school for five years and you don't miss it. I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm doing what I'm meant to do. And I felt like every day I was using my gifts and talents. Speaking of using your gifts and your talents, in 2019, you wrote your first screenplay, an adaptation of your novel, The Aftermath. The Aftermath is the third book, and it's actually my favorite book in the series. I know someone who's a producer out in Hollywood, a friend of mine I've known for years, and he had reached out to me in 2019 and said, hey, what about adapting some of your books to screen? And I said, okay. So I I went out to California, gave him my books. He read them, and it was The Aftermath, my favorite, which he didn't even know, that he said, wow, this one stood out to me. Could you turn this into a screenplay? I have no idea how to write for screen. I mean, very different from writing a novel. Very different. And I'm like, I will try. And he said, yeah, if we need to bring another screenwriter on, by all means, but do a first draft. So I bought a book on screenwriting and just devoured it and then just took to my computer and learned how to use the software and wrote it and turned it into him. And it was so funny because it went to the table read with actors and Because it's the third book, the actors had so many questions about, they're like, well, what happened before? And who is this person? And why do they need to be there? And they're bringing up questions. And I'm like, well, that's like one of the main characters. They have to be there. And my producer, David, was like, oh, well, this is the third book. So he said to me, he goes, "Uh uh-uh, we can't start in the middle. He's like, we need to go to the very beginning. This can't be a movie. There's so many storylines. This needs to be a TV show. He said, so where's the beginning? And I said, well, the beginning isn't really Montgomery Lake High. The beginning is Gripped because Gripped serves as a prequel and a sequel to Montgomery Lake High because there's flashbacks and flash forwards. So I said, okay, Gripped. So I had actually on staff one of my interns. I should have mentioned I have a team of every year. It's usually like 10 teenage interns that I mentor, but then they review my books and everything. But one of my interns was already there. He was already actually working on writing a pilot for Gripped because I had said, hey, that would be cool. He was in school at Emerson for screenplay writing. And I said, what about doing that? I just had given him a project. So I said to him, I go, they want to go back to the beginning. That's Gripped. Let's work on this together. So he wrote the first draft of the Grip pilot. This is Jared Thorburn. He's a kid from Norwell, Massachusetts, amazingly talented. He wrote that first draft. And then I went in and I added more to it and tweaked it and presented it to David Gunning. And he knew Mark Blutman. Now, Mark is one of the creators of Boy Meets World, Girl Meets World, a lot of the Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen movies that I grew up watching as a kid. David knew Mark, so he floated the script to him just for advice, saying, hey, do you know any young adult screenwriters who would maybe want to write for this show? And not ever thinking Mark would want to. I mean, Mark is an Emmy Award-winning writer and producer. And Mark wrote back, and he goes, oh, it's sports, it's the young adults, it's meaningful, it's mental health. Oh, I think I want to write this show. And that was an amazing moment. That was um, 2019. And, you know, actually, by that point, it was early 2020, before COVID really hit. We had our first meeting. Mark was all about it. 
COVID hits, shuts down Hollywood for an entire year. They're using mannequins on sets. I mean, shuts it down. But then right after things started to lift, early 2021, we met again. Mark signed on to the project, and it's been an amazing ride ever since. So can you talk to listeners about how important it is to listen to the voice inside your head, to ask for help? And whether you're a person of faith or not, we're talking about looking for the right path. Yes. And that's ironic because my children's book series is called On the Right Path. I had learned at a pretty young age, and I'm, I feel very blessed to have learned at a young age, how to hear God's voice, how to seek Him for direction. And it was really tuning in and praying and saying, God, I don't want my life to be about me. I want it to be what you have for me. I know you created me for something. You know what I will enjoy the most. You guide me. I don't know what's best for me. You do. And just learning how to discern his voice versus just my own thoughts. And I really learned that. I read the Bible cover to cover. I figured, my gosh, you can't recognize someone if you don't know what they look like right? So how was I going to recognize God at work in my life if I didn't know how he interacts with his people? And my gosh, it just opened my eyes and I just started seeing God at work all around me. I learned how to hear that still small voice and that is the voice that I followed. And I mean, it is amazing the doors that have opened. I left the architecture and design industry completely in 2009. So let's say, you know, the last 14 years have been just a joy ride. I mean, opportunities beyond anything I ever would have imagined. I took that leap of faith just believing, I don't know what to expect. I'm switching careers, but if you're guiding me there, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be better than anything I could do on my own. And I'm so thankful because it's just, it could bring me to tears. How amazing. Just out of curiosity, how long did it take you to read the Bible? I read it within a year. Is it a discipline to read the Bible? Do you say to yourself, I'm going to read X amount of verses? You know, so I had been reading it when I was commuting into Boston for the architect firm. I would read it on the train and just do it every day. Well, let's go to the children's book series. This is for children three to eight on the right path, written with NBA coach Brett Gunning. Yes, yes. So if you notice Gunning, then I had mentioned David Gunning, my producer. David is actually Brett's nephew. Again, talk about just knowing the right people. And and, connections and relationships and all the things. Yep. So David connected me with Brett because he had this idea. He was a coach for the Houston Rockets. Prior to that, he had been at Orlando. Prior to that, he had been a coach at Villanova. I think UNLV and Hofstra. So he's been a coach for, I think, over 25 years. Brett had this idea of writing a children's book series that would teach life lessons, but through the game of basketball, that it would be relatable for kids as young as three and simple so that they could grasp it, but profound at the same time. Just simple messages shared in a fun way. We did also link them to Bible verses. So at the end of every book, there's one Bible verse that relates to the whole message of the story because Brett is also a Christian and it was important to do that. And actually, Pastor Joel Osteen endorsed the books for us, which was amazing. He invited us down to Houston for a book signing at Lakewood, which was just so surreal because I had, you know, heard him on the radio, seen him on TV. I'm like, there he is endorsing my books, inviting us in. Again, just doors opening. I could never, ever imagine. Well, in the middle of all of this, you realized that it can be hard to find a publisher for your books. 
and you decided that you were going to start your own publishing company, which you named after your dogs, <laughs> Briley and Baxter. Female-owned. All the books are made here in the United States. Yes. Why is this work so important to you? I had a great publisher, Strategic Book Group. They had been my publisher for nine years. And then when I had this Hollywood deal looming, I had already written the first three grip books, and I needed the IP. I needed it published and copyrighted. I needed to have that in hand to have these meetings with the producers. And I said to my publisher, listen, this is what's going on. This is a big deal. I need these next two books to come out fast. They're done. And they were just so, they're a pretty big publisher, and they were just so set in their ways. And they said, well, we put books out, your series, it's going to be every six months. And I said, well, that'll be a year and a half before all the books are out. So that's when I started researching, okay, well, how could I start a publishing company? And I had learned a lot nine years being a published author, and I just learned how to work with distributors and bookstores and, you know, PR reps and marketing and everything. And I said, I can do this, and I have a design degree. I can design books. And, you know, I was already an editor, too, so I'm like, and I can hire more. Let me just do this. So I started in 2019 Briley and Baxter Publications, named after my dachshunds, Briley and Baxter, and, you know, with the model of giving back to animal rescues because Baxter was a rescue. So I loved that part. And it was truly just to get my books out as fast as I needed them. But then in 2021, I realized I could open it up to other authors and help people break into an industry that isn't usually very author-friendly, per se. A lot of publishing companies are just very set in their ways. I wanted to offer a lot of choices. As an author, knowing what I wish I had been offered, I built the company that way. And now we're on the brink of publishing our 50th author and our 80th book. Well, my daughter Colleen and I searched high and low for months and months and months and months for a publisher. And we're so happy to be working with you on our very first book in our series called Nelson's Garden. Can you reach out to anyone who is listening to our program right now who might be writing a book or has a book in their head? Give them some advice as they're just getting started. I would say if you have ideas in your mind, that's a gift and you should put them down on paper right away and don't worry about it being perfect at first. Just get it all out and then go back and reread it and change it as you feel led. But don't ever think like this needs to be perfect. This, what it needs to be is authentic. Next three questions, I ask everybody who sits where you are, and thank you again, Stacy, for coming and telling your story today. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? I like to see obstacles as just redirection. I think God opens and shuts doors for a reason. So when it's shut, I just look for, okay, where's the next route? What door is he opening for me or what window? And then I go full steam ahead. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? And can you pass that along to our listeners? Sure. So in addition to everything we've talked about today, the book, uh, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis is my favorite book. I've read it multiple times. I've taught studies on it. There's a chapter in there about the importance of being focused on the present. And I, I truly think that that is what has helped me to accomplish what I've accomplished, to be content and to be really where I am at. And when I say that, what I mean is I'm not 
dwelling on the past. I'm not worrying about the future. I'm not trying to figure out the future. I'm just looking at what's in front of me. What decisions do I have to make right now? And focusing on that. And that is how I'm able to, I think, accomplish everything because I'm fully where I am. And that's also where God can meet me. So in the book, it talks about how you're supposed to focus on whatever is real and whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. Well, what is real is right now. Well, speaking about where you are right now in your life, in this chapter in your mm-hmm. life, what does success mean to you, Stacy? Success means waking up every day and knowing that I'm going to use my gifts and talents to hopefully leave a positive mark on the world. It's just that fulfillment. I think being at peace with yourself and feeling fulfilled like you are doing what you're meant to do, that's success. I want to say thank you so much for being our guest this week. Stacy Padula on the story behind her success. Thank you. Thank you. And that's the story behind her success for this week. My thanks to award-winning author, educator, and book publisher, Stacy Padula. Find out more about her publishing company by going to BrileyBaxterBooks.com. Follow Stacy on Instagram at BrileyBaxterBooks. I'm always on the lookout for the next woman to profile. So if you know someone I should feature on the show, will you please let me know? Just go to my website, CandyOterry.com. That's Candy with a Y. O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. I'll have a new inspiring story for you next week. What's your story? I can't wait to hear it.